0: something that's happened this week, you're probably paying attention to this, but to me this is one of those things that, um, and, and these are popping up with regularity, but it's one of those things where you can tell that um, this is kind of where our country is going. This is who we're becoming. And no matter how much we try to think, oh, it's not, it's, this is really who we're becoming. Um, uh, Speaker McCarthy had asked a bunch of uh, uh, elementary kids to come up to the Capitol and sing the national anthem in the Capitol. And while they were doing that, the Capitol police came and stopped them from singing the national anthem. You know, they weren't singing something from Megadeth. They were singing the national anthem. And uh, and the, the reason that they said this is that two things. One, the kids were accused of staging a demonstration. I don't know how you can... Stage a demonstration when you're singing the national anthem. That means there's there's demonstrations staged at every baseball game, um, at at picnics in the park. They're staging demonstrations because they're singing the national anthem. And they also said that the reason they stopped them is because this would um, would uh, cause conflict and offend some people. It's it's the national anthem. If if it's if that's offensive to you, maybe this isn't your country. I'm not trying to be rude about that, but I don't understand this. Now, I do know, I do know the way that the, that the Capitol Police and the Sergeant Arms and things work because i got insider knowledge now. Um, I do know the way that this work is that that was not initiated by them. They didn't sit there and say, you know what we need to do, guys. Uh, this was initiated by somebody else. And uh, they had to shut this down because it was initiated by somebody else. And the only people that they would take, and it's not even instruction, because uh, specifically sergeant of arms don't work for Democrats or Republicans; they work for the Capitol. And so somebody that with some power had to be able to get them to do this. So just throwing that out there. this is uh, this this sermon that I'm doing. Usually, I kind of do these in a series. I'll usually do three or four of these, but I, I, I'm going to do this a little differently because part of the reason is because this message this morning is different, and um, than I would normally do within this. and uh, And I'm going to do these kind of over the fall. I'm going to do every now and then rather than do a series of this. But I've been doing this title message and and the basic starting of this message this exact same for 30 years at least, and. Um, and so I, I want to use this to try to accomplish something. So I'm going to tell you what I'm trying to accomplish up front so that uh, I can manipulate you. But um, <clears throat> the, the, what I'm trying to do is get you to open your eyes a little bit spiritually and see God uh, bigger than what you see him now. And whatever that means for you and however that means, and to see, um, to see that he can do things and and, and, and just who he is it can be much bigger in your world than it is right now. No matter where your spiritual maturity is or anything, that's not what I'm talking about. But just to try to get you to think to yourself, what, God's bigger than what I'm letting him be. He is already bigger than the way I see him. And, and if you live 100 years and you grow in the knowledge of God for 100 years, he will still be way bigger than what you could see him as. And so... <clears throat> title of this is The Frog and the Rock. And I don't even know how many 20-something years ago somebody gave me this as kind of a reminder. And then when I first got here 11 years ago, I preached a message and I thought, you know what? I've been doing the same frog and the rock. I think I'm going to change it up to a gecko and the rock. And uh, my kids said they would never speak to me again if I didn't go back to the frog and the rock. So, and then this would not apply. So uh, I'm listening to the Lord through my kids and I'm going to call it The Frog and the Rock. But So Mr. Frog is hopping through the woods, and minding his own business, he's not doing anything to anybody, he's just living his life, and a rock falls on top of the frog, and traps him underneath, and the frog can't do anything about this, he can't get the rock off And the rock is too heavy, too big, he can't, he can't push, he can't struggle, he can't dig down, he can't do anything, the, the, the rock is trapping the frog. And, um, and he's going to die underneath that rock, basically. So then you come walking by, and you see a rock with frog lips sticking out from underneath it. <laughs> and, uh, and Mr. Frog says, I need a little help over here. So you walk over, and you take the rock off of the frog. It didn't tax you. It didn't, you weren't stressed by this. It was a split second of your moment. Um, you took the rock off the frog, and the rock is saved. It didn't, it, you know, you weren't less, you didn't have less energy or something after that. You just moved the rock. But for the frog, this was amazing. This was uh, miraculous. He was going to die underneath that rock. There's nothing, he had tried everything he could do, and he could not get himself out from underneath that rock. And so for the, for the frog, this was miraculous, this was amazing. This was beyond the natural laws of nature, which he was being limited to. And uh, so therefore, it was supernatural. Uh, this is miraculous. I, I really do believe for us and in f- and, and our relationship with God that this is how it is between us and God. We're trapped under the rock, whatever the rock is. Uh, family issues, um, physical health issues, financial issues, whatever. We're trapped under the rock, and there's nothing we can do in the natural you know, the doctors have said this is inoperable, um, it's terminal, whatever. There's nothing you can do in the natural. There's nothing anybody else can do in the natural to help you out from underneath this rock. But then God reaches down and takes the rock off of us. That is miraculous for us. It's, and I'm not um, saying it's only miraculous because it's us within some kind of physical confine or whatever. No, it is truly miraculous for us. It is beyond the natural for us. You could not get the rock off of your life. The Lord reaches down, takes the rock off of your life. Supernatural. Miraculous. But interestingly for God, who created what we call the natural, he created the earth, he created us, he created everything on it. All of that, for God, this is not uh, supernatural. He created the natural, but he's outside the natural. And he just reaches and takes the rock off of us. It doesn't tax him. Um, Heaven is not... Uh, lesser, the lights don't drain in heaven while he's lifting the rock off of our life or whatever. And it doesn't matter what that rock is. We're the ones it's supernatural for because it is way bigger than us in the natural. But for God, it is nothing. It is just him moving that rock. It doesn't tax him. He doesn't have to have extra power He doesn't have to have healing power. He doesn't have to have relationship power. He's just God being God, doing supernatural things that for him are natural. It's who he is. It's natural. And he loves us a whole lot, and so it's actually enjoyable and fun for him. So he just reaches down and takes a rock off of us. I I really pray regularly that we would see it that way. We would understand it this way, that we could see God being way bigger than us. And that you could come up with a story and say, well, I wonder if God could do this. And and God's saying, that's, that's natural. It's easy. I'm outside of all of the stuff that you're dealing with. And I'm God over all this stuff. So taking the opportunity to say, God, help me see you bigger. Help me to help me have a spiritual Uh, Expansion of my sight and horizon. Scripture tells us that in 2 Corinthians 10 that Satan doesn't use uh, natural weapons, but he uses spiritual weapons. And this is the way 2 Corinthians 10, I think it's verse 4 or 5, says this, is that Satan attacks your knowledge of God. The way you see God, the way you understand God. And, And the way you see God and understand God determines everything, it determines how you read the Bible. That, that, and and I, I have to work on this. This is something, the more education you get, the harder this can be, is to see Jesus just as Jesus. Instead of all of the confines with, when, with, with which American Christianity puts him into. And I believe this is where we've got to in American Christianity is we limit God because we already understand. We limit Jesus because we already understand everything. We know how we think about Jesus. We know our theology. Um, And and then what happens is we become Jesus' hometown. You guys know what I'm saying when I say that. Jesus did miracles everywhere. Everywhere he went, it says he healed everybody. Everybody. It says that over and over and over. He healed everybody. Everybody, but one place he couldn't do miracles, his hometown. Because why? In his hometown, and this is the way it says it, is they, that they saw him as Mary and Joseph's son. In other words, they couldn't see him as Jesus, the supernatural God of the universe that took on human flesh. They could only see Mary and Joseph's son. They already understood who he was. He's not a miracle worker. He was the kid that played with the other kids. He's not different. And Jesus said, a prophet has no honor in his own country. What I, am, what I believe, and I'm, I'm worried for us in America, is I believe that, that Jesus is saying that about America right now. That I'm like a prophet without honor in my own country. because Not, not because we're Jerusalem, Israel, but because we have become so comfortable and understand Jesus so much. We have so much. We have the the Bible in any pretty much language that we want. We have Christian radio. We have Christian TV. We have The Chosen. We have anything out there that you can imagine. Crusades. We have services. We have conferences. Anything you want. Got all the books about every subject. But the problem is, is every time we get more and more and more and more of those layers, it becomes further and further from Jesus that we get. We have those layers instead of, now, now not for everybody, obviously. Sometimes that book or something push, pushes somebody toward Jesus, which is what it's supposed to do. The, the book is an is a extra biblical help to understand what? The Bible. The Bible is the point, it's not the book. The book should push you toward Jesus. The conference should push you toward Jesus, not just push you to better marriage or being a a great, mighty man of God or whatever. Those conferences are supposed to push you to Jesus. And then we know him better. Then we get closer, closer to the fire. You know, the Ananias and Sapphira thing I've taught about. The reason Ananias and Sapphira died then, but we don't have Ananias and Sapphira's dying now, although I think we do actually, but not like that is because they were much closer to the fire. Fire of the Holy Spirit, the the move of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. They took it for granted and God held them accountable directly because they were closer. Holy Spirit was doing things. We're so far in the American church, we're so far away from that fire mentality, that closeness, that that connectedness to the Lord that we're not getting burned because we're not getting consumed. We're not getting uh, empowered so we're not getting burned. And, and we're also missing all the other stuff that comes along with it, which is the supernatural hand of God in our life. You've got to be close to Jesus. You've got to be letting the Holy Spirit empower you. You've got to be pushing away the sin as much as possible, as much as you have the ability under the power of the Holy Spirit, saying no to anything that Satan is trying to throw out there for you. Why? Because then you're getting closer and getting closer, and that's when the supernatural happens automatically by the way it's given in scripture it's a given right mark chapter one verse 16 one day as jesus was walking along the shore of the sea of galilee which some of you guys are going to do in just a couple of days the sea of galilee for lynn and i was one of the just most spiritual moments there's others, right? There's a lot of, you're going to spare so much. But the Sea of Galilee, because we're out there and they're doing the fish net And then they do the, oh, maybe you should do it on the other side. You know, they do all this stuff. But we're sitting out there and all of a sudden the wind starts picking up and the boat starts rocking a little bit. And he's like, well, we got to get back to shore. I was like, no, one of us could walk on water. <laughs> it's probably not me. It's probably that guy over there, but <laughs> throw him out there and see. Who knows, right? One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him a little farther up the shore. You see, Jesus was walking along the shore, many, many boats, many, many fishermen all along this shore. He's walking along and he stops at one boat and says, Peter, Andrew, come with me. They do. Continues along, a little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. You know that irritated Zebedee had to have, right? I've been a dad when the friends go riding by on your bike, you're like, where do my kids go? We were mowing the lawn, right? So here's my question. What makes Peter, Andrew, James, and John special? The answer is nothing. Just normal kids. I had a book that I was given when I was a kid that had the disciples in it, and it showed their name and a picture of drawing of them. And then the next two or three pages was about that disciple, and then you go to the next page and the next disciple. And, uh, and it gives these amazing stories of faith and, and uh, leaders of the world that changed the world. This kind of stuff, which they were, and it shows them as old men. All this kind of stuff. And it dawned on me many, many years later, a couple decades later, that the reason the stories showed these men of faith and they were accomplished things, you know, Peter, Peter didn't want to be hung uh, the same way as Jesus on a cross, and so they hung him upside down. That's, that's a kind of faith that, and that's powerful, right? At that particular point, it, you know, are you thinking really I'm not worthy of dying the same way Jesus did? Most people would just not be wanting to die. This is faith. This is, this is, but it dawned on me the reason is because they were these old white-haired men by that time. Peter was not that in the Gospels right? He wasn't, I don't deserve to die the way Jesus died. I'm going to show you something about how Peter looked at Jesus dying here in just a little bit. But these guys were 18, 19 year old kids. The idea that they were old men when Jesus picked them, this is where the stories get confused. The book I had showed these old men and then gave the story, okay, Maybe much, much later in life. But when Jesus was walking with them on the earth, they were 18, 19, 20 at the latest year old. How do we know that? Because 40 years later, when they're writing the books, right? So they had to have been teenagers. And if you really read the stories, the way that they're written, and you really analyze these disciples, you can tell they're kids. They're not 40, 50-year-old men. They're 19, and they make a lot of mistakes, as 19-year-olds are prone to do. They make a lot of mistakes. Peter runs his mouth and gets everybody in trouble all the time. He does this. These are the people that Jesus picked. Peter, Mr. Obnoxious, speak first, think way, way later. <laughs> he does that. I'm not making that up. You read, read anything about Peter. Peter. He has one moment, one moment that's great. And Jesus says, you didn't even come up with that. The Holy Spirit did. <laughs> right? He has crazy stuff. James and John, they, their fathers, uh, Zebedee, like sons of, of, of uh, thunder, you know. I, that was his name, but there probably was some truth to that because it's always the way it works in the Bible. But how about how a about year and a half later when... Um, James and John's mother trying to protect her little baby boys we're were going to Jesus and saying can they sit on the right and the left of you Jesus when you get in your kingdom well we don't know her name but how many other disciples were there James and John's mom ten more where are they going to sit to her doesn't matter as long as James and John get to sit on the right and left because she didn't understand what his temple was going to look like or his kingdom was going to look like. It wasn't a physical kingdom. She didn't understand that if, if they sat on each side of Jesus, one of them is squeezing in between Jesus and God. They, she didn't get that. Matthew, tax collector, which means one of the most corrupt people in the area. Right? Jesus didn't pick winners. Judas, he really didn't pick a winner with Judas. So why is that important for us? Because you and I are the same as them. And if Jesus would have picked Peter... Now, my favorite guy in the New Testament is Paul. You know, I I want to be like Paul. I want to be this strong personality and all this other stuff. Although he said he wasn't that great of a speaker, so I've already eclipsed him there. But... (laughs) But I wanted to be like Paul. But when I read scripture, I see Peter more than I see Paul with me. Saying things you shouldn't say. You know, jumping quickly instead of taking your time and thinking things through. I've I've been guilty of that way more than I haven't. And so then when he says, but I picked Peter to be a disciple. I'm like, good. Because you know what makes me special? Same thing, make them special. Nothing within myself. But when Jesus picks you, which by the way, he's done with every one of us here. If, if, if when I say that, you think to yourself, yeah, he picks people like you talking about me. He picks people like you. You have no idea. You have no idea. I, I'm a nothing but a broken, hopefully be, to be used person. Jesus picks me. He does the same with you. And he picks every one of us. Do not let Satan tell you, because that's the only place you're getting it from. Do not let Satan tell you you're not chosen. That you're not created special and you're not picked by Jesus. He has picked you. And he wants you to follow him. He wants you to do the things the disciples did. He wants you to pray for the sick. All these other things. But somewhere there has to be a shift in your mind and your spirit that says, I, I, am, I am picked by the Lord. That's what makes me special. I, I, get a little, um, I get a little embarrassed is not the right word. I feel it's not legit. Like I had a town hall Thursday and it, it, I didn't realize it, but it turned out to be a party for me to say thank you for serving in the house and all this stuff. And, and that's a little overwhelming when I, when when people stand up and applaud me, I don't I don't I'm not comfortable with that. You guys never applaud me, and I'm not comfortable with that. <laughs> Why do I say things? <laughs> I. But but here's the thing: people applaud me and say thank you for what the truth is. Thank you for doing this stuff. And it and it really bothers me because here here's what the truth is. And this is not like see what sometimes people think when Paul says I'm the chief of the sinners, he was saying that tongue in cheek because he knew he really wasn't. And I don't believe that. I believe he knew he really was. But when when people applaud me for that, I think, guys, you don't understand, I didn't want to go. I still don't want to go. I don't like it. It's it's the epitome of me for me of not fun. I hate it but I know God told me to, and so if I'm going to do that, why not do what God tells me? If I don't want to be there anyway, why don't I just do what God tells me when I'm there? If I'm going to have to be irritated and not want to be here, then maybe I could make that the same for everyone in the room, (laughs) right? And then people applaud me. Oh, you've done such a great job. I don't like that. I don't want to do this. How great of a job did I do? I mean, please don't come to me afterwards and try to fix all this for me, okay? (laughs) But do do you understand what I'm saying? Think about this. Could the disciples be applauded because they were disciples? No. Maybe 40 years later when they've proven themselves as apostles, maybe you get a little clap or two. But still... Because it's isn't us. It's Jesus that chooses us. It's not, what, it's not what we bring to the table even because he made that within us. He created us. We didn't create us. <clears throat> he chose us. And this is why this is so important is they are normal people just like us because when you start thinking they're different. And I had, I had somebody explain to me this last week how the people in the Bible were so different. And and they're t- completely different from us. As long as you believe that, then the Bible will not directly apply to your life. The reason it applies to you is because they are just like you. And by the way, you're disagreeing with scripture that says Elijah was just like us. King James says, a, a man of like passions, just like us. Acts chapter 17, verse 24. We're going to deviate a little bit, and then we're going to get back to these disciple guys. Acts chapter 17, verse 24. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Now, this is Paul talking about the philosophers, and he's, and he's uh, talking to them about, um, you know, they got all these, there's, there's walkways, and they got all these busts of gods all down these walkways, and then they have one that says, um, unknown God. And so he uses that as the witnessing tool to witness to all these philosophers and all this stuff. So what does he do? He says, well, I know who that is. Well, that picks their ears up, right? I know who that is. And then he says, it's, it's God. Let me tell you about him. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. How many times does the Lord say that through scripture? He tells Job that, tells Jeremiah that, tells Isaiah that. I'm not limited to a place. I'm not limited to your temples. By the way, God's not limited to this building. This is just a building. Why why do we worship God in here together? Because he's in you. Not because he's in the building. We're not coming to a place he is. You are where he is. We're coming together to acknowledge that together and to worship him together. Because guess what? He's also in the person sitting next to you. It's, it's, we're the church. We're not in a church. We're the church. He's the everything. Human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall. And that is still true today. Country boundary lines, God is not limited to some kind of understanding of that that we have. Governments, he's not limited. Scripture tells us before Jesus was born, prophesied all governments will rest on his shoulders. Everything that we're seeing and struggling with in the world right now, I I, I know I say this pretty regularly, but you better be paying attention to Iran and and, um, Israel because Iran is really pushing on this nuclear power stuff, and they're getting more and more threatening. And they're the ones, by the way, who are stirring up the Palestinians, okay? But uh, this, is, this is getting a little serious, but guess what? God is still in charge. And we see in Ezekiel, I know I keep saying I'm going to speak about this. I need to. I need to this summer. But Ezekiel uh, 36 through 39, where we see specifically 38 and 39, where we see the battle of Gog and Magog. That is specifically, intentionally spelled out in Scripture so we will know exactly what happens. It's one of the more specific stories. It's kind of like the stuff in Daniel. Pretty specific. And he explains that that Iran, Russia, and all these countries, Arab countries are going to get together and attack Israel. But before they actually attack, they're going to be surrounding the attack. They're all going to be killed by God. Because why? Because... He determines boundaries. We don't. He determines people groups. We don't. He determines governments. We don't. Now, he gives us uh, governmental leaders. I was processing this, too, in the, in the, in the idea of him choosing. Um, he kind of chooses just like the leftovers a lot of time. He chooses just the common person. And some are really like the bottom of the barrel of people, God has never been a good chooser of people. There's only one time in all of Scripture when I can tell that God chose the perfect specimen to be um, a leader. His name was King Saul. And he chose a perfect specimen of what the people thought they needed. He had already told him, you don't need a king. Like, we want a king. Everybody else has a king. And, they, and he said, you don't need a king. And he said, we want a king. We're not going to give up on this. We he said, okay, I'll give you what you think a king is. And so he chose Saul. Good looking guy, head and shoulders taller than everybody else. Um, he was the man. And when they were trying to find him to, to coronate him, he was hiding. I love it when God chooses just kind of the average person. The ruddy David who turns out to be the best ninja warrior fighter ever, <laughs> right? <clears throat> he says, from one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall. He determined their boundaries. And guys, here's the kicker. This would probably be the theme of this whole message, this, these uh, two verses. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God. That's the point. Everything that happens, to seek after God. I, I process this from our American, I, I know I've mentioned this a lot the last few weeks, but, but our, our really our pampered American Christianity, with, which doesn't involve suffering, doesn't involve true commitment, um, it's not really about us digging in and doing what God has told us, kind of thing. It's it's really superficial. It's about coming and watching a concert, and then a, hopefully a good pep up leadership sermon. That's what we've turned it into, and that's dangerous for us, because that that kind of thinking doesn't get us into a relationship with God and get us into eternity with Him. And and just been processing this and thinking about this, that we're uh, we're seeking. Seeking after God The nations are seeking after God And that is the point That God does this stuff and, and look at places like China We had sent missionaries into China We had all this stuff happening with China And then, then um, Communism fell in China uh, Well started in China And all the missionaries were kicked out And all this stuff And everybody was so worried about the church in China And then what was it Forty years later The, uh, the Communism uh, kind of raises the curtain a little bit and starts allowing Westerners back in, and we realize over time that the China, the church in China, is probably larger than all the rest of the church in the rest of the world. Persecution is not always a bad thing. We don't like it in America, but other countries, it's expected. It's part of their theology. It's expected. We try to build theologies in America where none of us have to suffer. None of us actually have to get engaged and commit. And when somebody actually commits, they're like the freak show, um, over-the-top Christian. And we start saying things like they have no earthly good but because they're too heavenly minded and stuff. If you're really heavenly minded, tell me how you're no earthly good. If you're truly heavenly minded. So, his purpose was for the nations to seek after God. And perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Which is, is interesting how he explains this. And by the way, this, this has, a nice little, um, it has a nice little flow through in the Greek, how it gets to these three things. It's still cool in English, but he says, perhaps they will feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. So we're feeling, and Paul's trying to explain this to these philosophers and everything. They're trying to feel their way toward God, but he's not far from you. In fact, the next sentence this is the kicker, for in him we live and move and exist. You're trying to find God, and he's standing right there going, here I am. Here I am. And this is the way I've always pictured it. In fact, years, years ago, we did like a human video with, our, with teenagers. We were youth pastors at the time. And um, so it was 30 years ago. But uh, we had God stand there, and they kept moving God out of the way to try to find him. And that's what we do. We, we already know who he is. And so this, this, this that is real, that's really God, real truth, real power, real understanding, we move that out of the way so we can try to figure out how God can be like what we want him to be. Limited, small. He doesn't do the supernatural. I mean, he, he, sure he might, but not like with me when I pray. Except that's who he is. In him we live, we move, and we exist so the question: Why would why would God choose me? Why would God choose you? It's because He's God. You say, "Well, it's because He knows you know my weaknesses, my strengths, and all this So He picks me for that. That's that's even that trying to explain that is limited because he, he knew you before the foundations of the world, and He created you. So even as He's creating you, He's creating you like He wants you to be. So then later he chooses you. seems circular to me. Because why? He's the one in charge of it all. He's the one in charge of everything. And so then when he actually says to you, and, and I, th- I think he starts saying this young in life, but we don't know always how to hear it. And if, you, if, you're not, if you're not taught sometimes through scripture how to hear God's voice, sometimes it can be tricky, sometimes. Usually that's because you've been taught something else. But he's speaking to you. He's pushing you. see. And then your responsibility is just to say, okay, God, I'm here. And then God says, okay, go take the rock off of that person. Well, I can't do that, God. Don't worry. You're not the one lifting it. You're just the one doing it. And we go to this boulder, the size of the, the planet, and we go, ah, and God goes. And then we go, ooh, I'm going to start a ministry and write a book. That's truth right there, just telling you. Guys, God chooses us because of him. He uses us because of him. And how does he use us? To interact with other people. It's not, we we try to make ministry all these other things. Ministry is people to people. That's what it is. Somebody needs Jesus, somebody needs to be prayed for, and sometimes I need to be prayed for. It's people to people. And he uses us because how? Because he's God. Mark chapter 8. This is, now we're getting back to the disciples. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed. This is what he's telling them. He would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. They had all the information they needed. He was telling them everything. But Peter, because Peter's really smart, smarter than everybody else, including Jesus. As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. You know, years later, Peter was like, oh, that was the son of God, right? Right? You know, the the moment he steps into heaven, Jesus is like, hey, Peter. And Peter's like, okay, i got to talk to you about something. (laughs) But see, Jesus had already taken care of that. That's what Jesus was trying to do with Peter when he was cooking the fish and the the bread. And Peter comes up and he asks him three times, do you love me? He was trying to make sure that Peter understood. Yes, you are stupid, Peter, but (laughs) just do what I ask you to do. And you'll be amazed at how not stupid you are. Just do what I ask you to do. Right? Peter took him aside and began to reprimand the Son of God, the creator of everything, and the Logos for saying such things. Jesus turned around and looked at the disciples. You know why he did that, right? Why he turned around and looked at the disciples? Because this isn't just something Peter was coming up with. All of the disciples were talking about it, but they knew Peter would be the mouthpiece. He's like, Peter, you go talk to him. We don't like what he's saying. You go talk to him. He was looking at all this time because he knew. That's why he's pausing looks. I'm like, guys, you're not getting it. Then he reprimanded Peter and he said, get away from me, Satan. Peter, see, see this is one of the things for me in scripture that I just kind of have a little pet peeve about how the people then and then the church has done this, I think very inappropriately. So Thomas is sent in the room. Jesus pops into the room. Well, first Thomas says, I won't believe in Jesus unless I see the marks on his hands and in his side and his feet, right? And to this very day, what is Thomas's nickname? Doubting Thomas. One moment, one moment where he said, I really need to see the marks. One moment. And guys, I think Thomas... Um, depicts us much better than anybody else at that kind of concept. I need to see, hand, need to see his hands and his feet. I need to see f- proof of this. And he gets called doubting Thomas. But nobody ever calls Peter, uh, rebuked by Jesus, Peter, the rebuked one, Satan's boy, or whatever. He never gets any of that stuff. And his was much more egregious than Thomas's was. Jesus says to Peter, get away from me, Satan. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Let me let me broaden that statement a little bit. You are seeing things like Jesus' hometown. You're seeing it from your perspective. You're seeing it from limitedness. You're seeing it from not being able to be supernatural God. That's how you're seeing it. Guys, we we all struggle with that. We all struggle. This is the point of the frog and the rock. Anytime you see that title, this is where we're going with it, is God wants us to see him bigger. But some of that, and this is the point of this this morning, is some of that is you need to see yourself differently. You need to see yourself as being created by God and the person that he uses. He anoints people to do the work of the Lord. Creation shouts out who Jesus is, but they're not doing the work. Creation is not doing the work of the Lord. How will they know unless you tell them? That's people to people, and that's why we need to be anointed. Acts chapter 5, verse 12. Let's stick with Peter. This is is at the time of Ananias and Sapphira. Again, I mentioned earlier the the things are happening big. Uh, People are being healed like, like crazy. All this supernatural stuff is happening. Ananias and Sapphira come in and lie. God drops them. Uh, which because there's, an, um, there's a much closer immediate accountability, I believe is the reason that happens. So, so when I say that, when I say the reason we don't see Ananias and Sapphira's drop today is because we're not close enough, that's not a discouragement for getting closer, okay? That's an encouragement to say, but everybody else was doing some very supernatural things. Ananias and Sapphira thought they could lie their way through this and look cool at the expense of the Holy Spirit that they could look important and spiritual and all that stuff, when really they were just lying. Right? So this is right after that. The apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. Who were these apostles? This wasn't wasn't a long, long time after the cross. Who were the apostles? The disciples minus one added back one. But that was the, the apostles. They weren't superheroes. They weren't these amazing guys. People forget when Jesus sent these same disciples out, he did it twice in the New Testament. He sent them out and said, you're going to lay hands on the sick and they're going to recover. They did. They cast out demons and laid hands on the sick. Most people forget that Judas was one of those guys. Judas was one of the guys laying hands on the sick. They're healed, casting out demons and everything else. He was just a normal, broken person that was actually doing what Jesus asked him to do. And then later... He gets in a lot of problem with this. They had made him the treasurer. You know Jesus either did it or knew that. You think, well, why would Jesus make Judas a treasurer? It's a bad decision, Jesus. You're just making bad decisions. But Jesus trusted Judas. He just, he just, Judas didn't follow through with it. Jesus gave him the chance. He knew that's where his weakness was. And he gave him the chance to be trusted. We're no different We're no different. Jesus will give you the bag and let you be the treasurer. Be careful when he does that because he knows you need to be the treasurer for lots of reasons. That's that's pretty profound, by the way. You can spread that out pretty thick. So, the apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. All the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. But no one else dared to join them. Yeah, because Ananias and Sapphira just died. Like, you know what, we'll watch from a distance and see how you guys fare. Even though all the people had high regard for them, yet more and more people believed. Those are the the people that are joining them. The people that are watching this spiritual thing go down, they're not joining in. More and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women, As a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets. This is Matthew, one of the most corrupt guys in the area. But he began to follow Jesus. This is James and John, really messed up family life. Began to follow Jesus. All of these guys were ordinary, everyday people that were beginning to follow Jesus. As a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets, on beds and mats, so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as they went by. And you say, well, yeah, but that's the apostles. That's why all these supernatural things. Guys, you've got to get, you get the big context here. This is the book of Acts. It was written by Luke, who was not Jewish, to Theophilus, who was Greek. And he, the whole point of the book is the Holy Spirit wants to use you that are not Jewish to do the supernatural things. He's expecting that as part of the Jewish context, but if you think it's the only part of the, it's only Jewish, you've missed the point of the book. Write down the names in the book, going from, from beginning to end, what miracles they did and whether they were Jewish or not. Starts Jewish, starts apostles. By the time you get to the end, it's Gentiles. That's why chapter 9 and 10 is Cornelius. The whole thing is for you and I to say, wait, I can be used by the Holy Spirit. I'm not Jewish, I'm not an apostle, but I can be used by the Holy Spirit. That's the point of this. And this is what he's saying to us. Peter's shadow fell across them. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. Wow. And that's, that's right up in the fire. And that's what we need. That's what the American church needs. That's what Church of Bargat needs. We need to get close to Jesus, so close to him, filled with the Holy Spirit, that the supernatural things begin to naturally happen around us, with us, through us. Three things. Point number one. <clears throat> For you guys around here, that doesn't mean the beginning of my message. Okay? Sometimes when I say that, people go, Number one, God chose us. We didn't choose him. we got to get that. God chose us. He chose you. And don't just make it us. Own it. Jesus chose you. And if there's there's anything I could get across, the main thing I could get across as as a pastor to people is he chose you. Years ago, as a youth pastor, we had... These are the rules of our youth group. This was in the early '90s, and uh, this was the rules of our youth group. We had T-shirts and everything about this. We had big banners all over our youth, our youth warehouse, all this other stuff. Rule number one: God's in control. Rule number two: Act like it. I didn't say I was deep. I, I was, but I was profound. Guys, that really is it. God's in control. Everything else after that is just words, just stuff, just life, just details. God's in control. The second thing, God wants to do the miraculous with us and through us. He wants the supernatural to be in our lives, where we're getting uh, touched by the supernatural, things happening to us, with us, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, and then also through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. The third thing is God is miraculous. It's who he is. It's not what he does, it's who he is. Why don't you stand with me? I want to pray for us. Lord, we we come to you, we recognize that you're the king. That you're the one that's in charge, Jesus. I'm not in charge. I'm not the king. You are. You're the ruler. You're the provider. You're the healer. You're the redeemer. Jesus, we submit to you. We thank you, Jesus, for being you in our life. But Lord, our problem is, is we limit how we see you. We limit how we serve you. We limit how we see your word and how we understand your spirit. We limit you so much. So Jesus, I ask you to help us open our eyes. Help us to see what you're wanting to do. In the name of Jesus. We're going to pray for two things. And um, eventually I'm going to ask you to come down front for each one individually. There's uh, not enough space for us to do these separately. I mean, together. We have to do them separate. The first thing is, I'm going to tell you what they both are. The first thing is this. You need God to do something supernatural with you, in you, to you like healing or breakthrough or providing or something like that. You need God to do supernatural miracle in your life. Okay? It's the first thing we're going to pray for. And then the second thing is, um, and, and you may be both on these, that's fine, okay? Um, but, we, but you want God to do something through you. Well, to ask that with the, with the message, the context of this this morning, to say, God, I want you to do something through me, I believe you have to start with, God, start in my mind in the way I see you. Start with how I understand you. Start with how I understand the Holy Spirit. Start with how I believe you or don't believe you or trust you or don't trust you. Start with that and help my my understanding uh, explode in the understanding that you are God and that you can do anything. And then... As we're praying, then then it would be, the next part of that would be, now God, use me in the power of your Holy Spirit tomorrow, Tuesday. A meeting you know you've got coming up, a connection. You're going to connect with the family members. God, now I know you're going to use me. Why? Because I understand you can, that you are bigger than what I'll ever imagine, that you are truly God. So those are the two things. God, do something with me, to me, God, do something through me and start in my mind and how I see you. Okay, God, open our hearts to this, that we're, that we're really listening to you, we're really desiring what you, what you want for us. God, build our faith as we're praying, as we're praying about these. Lord, just build our faith while we're praying, that as we get out and, and walk down front, that builds our faith. We trust you. So the first thing, I need need God to do something with me, to me. If that's you, step out, come down front, and we're going to switch everybody out. I know it's a little different, but we'll switch everybody out in a second. But if you say, I I need God to do something to me, I need healing or something like that. Come and step uh, stand down front, but stand kind of close to the stage so people can stand behind you and pray for you. out and some of you can even stand right in front of me unless you're tall because people on the tv want to see me all right um people come down start praying for them you can tell them what's going on you don't have to there's oil in the um the altars if they if they need to be anointed you can ask them what you're praying for you should ask them um, but pray for them and ask, and, and if they need anointed with oil, that's what James 5 says. If it's a physical thing, um, James 5 says uh, that, you, that you call the elders of the church, you pray for them, you anoint them, and you pray uh, for, for the sick. You pray the, the, for the healing. So, God, we lift all these people up to you. We know. We know you're the provider. We know you're the healer. Jesus, you're going to do these things. Gonna do these things in a supernatural way. The different needs that are going on right now. God, they are not they are not too big for you. They don't fall into the supernatural for you. They don't fall into the miraculous for you. They do for us. But God help us our minds and our hearts and our spirits be open. Open our our spiritual eyes right now to see that you are bigger than what we're dealing with. That you're bigger. That it is miraculous for us. We need a miracle. It is supernatural for us. We need something outside the natural. But Jesus, for you, it's just taken the rock off of us. God, I pray that into our spirits, however you do that, Holy Spirit, however you open our eyes and make that happen, I pray that you would do that right now all across this room. every person standing up here that they can believe in ways they didn't believe before understand in ways they didn't understand see something they didn't see before and then God receive what you're trying to do right now that you are the miracle working God help us to receive that and receive what you're trying to do God I pray that the miracles will happen we'll just open our eyes and they'll happen Open our spirit and they happen. In the name of Jesus. God, you're worthy. You're worthy to be praised. You're the King. You're the healer. You're the Redeemer. You're the King. I'm not. You're the healer. I'm not. You're the redeemer, I'm not. Lord, we give you us. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. next thing of this we're going to pray I'm just at your seats but we're going to' pray, we'll pray for each other. okay this may include some of you down here that's fine. but if you're saying I really need I really need the Lord to open my eyes, do what he wants to do so that I can so that the Holy Spirit will move through me, not, not to me. But it will move through me, that, that I will be the person that will pray, that I will be the person that will witness, that I will be the person that will, will, will walk like Peter later in life. I will be that guy. And I want to see people healed because of my relationship with Jesus. Right? Okay, so if that's you, I'd like you to put your hand up. And just keep your hand up. Because we're going to have people just kind of gather around you there. Okay, All right, so if you see somebody with their hand up, look around, if you see somebody with their hand up, we're gonna go pray for them and we're gonna trust that God's gonna do this, that that we need to be used by the Lord. The Holy Spirit wants to move through us. That's expected, right? Move through us. Lord, you see my heart with this. You see hands all over the place. Jesus, we just... We just want to be used by you. You you said that the same Holy Spirit that rose you from the dead, Lord, would would quicken my physical body, my mortal body, my limitedness, my humanity, will anoint my humanity. And so, Lord, we ask you to do that. Anoint us right now. Anoint us first by helping us see, helping us see past what we normally see Help our hearts to just open up to the reality of you, Jesus. That you are so big. You are so majestic. You are so powerful. You are enormous, Jesus. There's nothing we can ever interact with that's bigger than you. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, work through me. Work through me, through my mind, through my heart, through my hands, my life. Build my faith. Work through me, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Just ask him. Holy Spirit, I open myself up to you. Work through me. Empower me with your spirit. Work through me. You don't have to quit praying. But um, we're going to take communion. So if you left your communion at your seat, you got to go back there. If you got it with you, you can stand down here. thought this might be a nice way to seal this. You know, seal the deal. <clears throat> Why? Isaiah 53 says... That um, by the stripes that Jesus will take on his on his back, or the, by the stripes that he is, is uh, the the whipping that he takes that shreds his skin. Basically, what they're saying by that, and it and it obviously references the um, the the cut in the bread of the the Passover. But he says, by the stripes he's going to take, he's he's going to heal us. And then later, Peter quotes Isaiah right? But, but Peter changes the tense of it and he says, by the stripes that Jesus took, you've already been healed. And that's how I look at it. That's how I believe it is. The reason Peter said past tense is because what had happened, something had happened that made this already a done deal. And what had happened was the cross and Jesus's crucifixion and the, and the whipping that he took. So what better time to take communion and, and remember this and declare the Lord until he comes is to say, okay, we're talking about God doing supernatural. We're talking about God doing, you know, healing and doing things like that. What better time than to um, take communion together? Now, again, Jesus is sitting at Passover with the disciples. We squish it down into something called communion, right? We just like tiny, tiny little piece of this whole thing. And then um, and then we we've already limited to a little plastic wafer. But it does the same thing spiritually because it's something that we're recognizing. Somebody did ask me, and so I'll ask you. Somebody did ask me, can we ever do this with like loaves of bread where you come and pinch off loaves of bread? Anybody desire to do that? How many of you are scared to death you will catch something if we do that? We could maybe still have these provided, but I would like to do it that way. Even leavened bread, which is so not biblical. But about as biblical as this. Right? We are recognizing that Jesus allowed himself to be brutalized so that I could be healed. So that I could be healed of a headache. Jesus took that on him. It doesn't seem like a good exchange. That's how big he is. He allowed himself to be brutalized so that I could be healed of anything. Psalms 103 says that he heals all of our diseases. God we thank you for allowing this to happen. We thank you for letting them destroy your physical body so that we could be healed. Lord we thank you for this. And the night which he was betrayed the Lord Jesus took some bread. He gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and he said this is my body. He breaks it first. says this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me let's take this together Jesus we are overwhelmed and humbled and we're filled with gratitude that you would do this for us that you would do this for us Lord, the reason that I can be healed now, 2,000 years later, is because you've already provided it. In the name of Jesus. and We trust you. In the same way he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. Agreement confirmed with my blood. He could have confirmed it any any way, but he did it with his blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death and until he comes. I started taking communion when I was a little kid, maybe eight or nine. Back in those days, you didn't take communion too much younger than that. And um I started taking communion when the rest of the church did, and every single time I've taken communion from that moment until right now today, every single time I do the exact same thing. I know that different, we'll do this different ways in here, and we'll, but I always pray the same thing. I basically pray what we would call a sinner's prayer, salvation prayer. I always pray, Jesus, forgive me, because that's what your blood was for. Make me right with God. That's what your blood is for. And I don't want to take this for granted. I don't, want to, I don't want to ever take Jesus's forgiveness for granted. And I've had people say, yeah, but you're already saved. Whatever, I repent and I, and I want Jesus to be my savior. I, I'm married, but I say things like that to my wife that I love you and I would marry you again. doesn't mean I'm not married. Jesus, I ask you to wash me clean. Lord, you know my heart. Cover me with your blood, Jesus. I don't deserve it, but Jesus, you gave it. Cover me with your blood. Forgive my sins, forgive my attitude, forgive anything that I do. It is about me and not about you. Forgive me, wash me clean, and just pull me up close to God. Lord, I thank you for that. Lord, I wanna serve you. Jesus, I'm yours. You're my leader, you're my king, you're my ruler. You're my friend that sticks closer than a brother. Jesus, I want to serve you. So thank you for your blood. Thank you for the cross. Again Lord, we are humbled and filled with gratitude because you're the king. Help me tell others you're the king. Amen. Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Do the best you can. Tell somebody about Jesus and God honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand, tell them, you're glad they're here even if you have to make it up. And we will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your afternoon.